Each week, we examine the stadium beat from every, every angle. With athletes like Fred Lynn. Lynn. The Green Monster, they call it that for a reason. About 12 foot of it from the ground to about 12 foot up was concrete. And if you hit that, I mean, it would just tear your skin off. Joe Theismann. What a great idea this is to be able to talk about the hallowed structures that exist today. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. This week, we'll meet someone who many believe has a so-called dream job. He's Mike Acosta, and he is the authentication manager for the Houston Astros. He knows the answer to the question, is this for real? And he also knows the future plans for the Houston Astrodome, and he'll share the concept with us. Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran says it's time to beat the clock. But can workers at renovated Miami Stadium do it? But first, the stadium's beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, the Denver Broncos are stepping up and will take over the contract of the naming rights deal at Mile High Stadium. The team wants to expedite the naming rights process after the current contract holder, Sports Authority, filed for bankruptcy. Broncos president Joe Ellis talked with KUSA-TV. Well, we're going to sell the name uh, again to a company, and, and it'll be you know, hopefully a great partner. It's important. I've said this in the past. We believe it's important for the upkeep and the improvements that the stadium will need over time, and these dollars go right into that. There is no timetable for securing a new naming rights agreement, and the name Sports Authority Field at Mile High will remain on the venue until a new deal is reached. Well, fans of the Los Angeles Rams were showing the love this week as the team began training camp on the campus of UC Irvine. More than 10,000 were on hand the first day to greet the team, which returns to Southern California for the first time since they left in 1994. This Rams backer talked with KABC. From somebody who used to go to Rams games when I was a little girl in the Coliseum, and when they left, it was like awful. This is like, I, I still, I was telling some folks here, I can't believe this day is here. And that my alma mater, UC Irvine, <laughs> woo, Eaters. Even bigger crowds are expected this weekend as the Rams take their practices to the LA Coliseum. Well, to baseball, where the Arlington City Council approved the first reading of an ordinance calling for a November election vote on a new Texas Rangers stadium. The second reading and ultimate approval of the ballot proposal is scheduled for next week. The Rangers want a new $1 billion dome stadium to replace 22-year-old Globe Life Park. And the Atlanta Braves are unveiling a number of plans that they say will relieve traffic congestion in and around their new SunTrust ballpark. One move is to start games at 7.30 local time. That's 30 minutes later than their current start times at Turner Field. Braves president Derek Schiller told WXIA the new venue will feature 360-degree parking surrounding the ballpark with 14 access points. But it's also multiplied by the fact that with more parking spaces, we're actually fewer seats. We're uh, about 8,000 fewer seats at SunTrust Park compared to Turner Field. Schiller says much of the congestion now around the park is attributed to the numerous construction zones. The Braves move into SunTrust Park next season. 
Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. There are many fascinating jobs in the world of sports and entertainment, but Mike Acosta has one of the most unusual in the entertainment business. He is the official historian of the Houston Astros, but he also has another capacity in which he works for the team, and that is as the team's authentication manager. If he says it's real, it's real, and we're going to visit with him about that right now. Mike, it's a fascinating job. How did you get it, and how are you qualified for it? <laughs> Thank you so much for for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Sure. Uh, you know how did I how did I get this job? You know that's one of the probably the number one question that I get all the time. Simplicity of it is that I went up to the Astrodome. Um, I had worked one other place before working here, and and that was when I first started college. And I got to the point where I needed to to get some sort of internship. And uh, the Astros were getting ready. This was in the late 90s. The Astros were getting ready to put a new stadium under construction in downtown. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I was working at the, the new ballpark and just doing anything, making copies or doing, you know, running things around like a runner or some, something. And so I went over to the Astrodome and I took a resume and I got a call the next day. Two weeks later, I was uh, sitting there in the recording studio at the Astrodome with uh, the director of broadcasting and the uh, the producer engineer of the, the Astros, Mike Cannon, who called me that, that next morning. And here I am. It's it's 18 seasons later. Wow. <laughs> they essentially created this position for me several years ago where they felt that, uh, you know, the need for a historian and an authentication person to make sure that things coming off of our field were the, the real deal, that were authentic. In the late 90s, Back during the time, you know, Mickey Mantle had passed away, Joe DiMaggio had, had passed away, and there were all these autographs on the market, you know, and, and granted, these guys did some signings, but uh, there were too many of them. And so baseball and the FBI worked together, and, and they did an investigation, and they found that a lot of the stuff was fake. And so baseball took it upon themselves a long story short, to create an in-house authentication program, one that they felt confident in, that they could put their logo on, and so fans would feel confident that if they got it from a baseball club or directly from MLB, it was the real deal. Our guest is Mike Acosta, who has what many would consider to be one of the dream jobs of baseball, the authentication manager and historian for the Houston Astros, Mike's place of work, the ballpark. And we dive into the ballpark conversation next. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. Back with Mike Acosta, historian and authentication manager for the Houston Astros. Mike has numerous tales to tell of his time at Minute Maid Park and the iconic Houston Astrodome. 
You started going to Astros games in the late 70s, which was during the time that I was working in Houston at a local radio station, and I covered many, many ball games. You get a childlike fascination when you walk into the Astrodome. And, of course, I know the great love that you have for the building. The stadium has gone through many turf setups. They tried grass, of course, and they had to paint the roof because of glare issues and that killed the grass they they couldn't make it work and so the artificial turf solution was first adopted there that was necessary how many actual artificial turf surfaces has the dome gone through you have the uh the the, the first set that was introduced in 1966 uh in march of 66 the astros and the dodgers played a uh a, a exhibition game on the just an infield and uh, foul territory AstroTurf. They did not have a, enough AstroTurf to put in the outfield. In fact, Roy Hoffines, when they, they came in on Ju- January 17th of 66 into the dome, they were getting the dome ready for the uh, what they used to call the, the dirt season, which was the non-football, non-baseball side where they would uh, get ready for the Houston Livestock Show and the rodeo. So there was there was no playing field on the ground. The, the floor was originally dirt and they, they threw down an infield, a separate AstroTurf infield for them to, to test. And when Roy Hoffines took him by surprise and said, you know what, these guys, it, it, it's going to work out. The, the players like it, the U of H players. And they brought in Astro players in University of Houston football players to test it that night. Uh, when he caught Monsanto off guard and said, okay, let's do it. They, you know, they were like, whoa, whoa, you know, we need to, uh, we need to make more. So, okay, well... Let's start with let's start the '66 season with AstroTurf in the infield and in the foul territories. And by you know if it works out by mid-season, we'll put the you know the rest of the AstroTurf in the outfield. Mm-hmm. And so that first set of AstroTurf that lasted from '66 through to '78. 1978 is when they replaced it with another set that was virtually the same type of AstroTurf that they had uh, in its original generation what is the actual condition of the interior of that building today you know it's very interesting because as you know you you kind of talk about our our memories are are probably very much the same one of the things that i never got to experience was the astrodome as it was under construction for one it's a lot cleaner than it was (laughs) from Mm -hmm. from the time when when the the uh, the astros were there because over the years it's kind of like a house you know, you get, uh, you, you know, you get a lot of clutter in some areas, you know, you kind of keep something over here. You maybe add a wall, you know, like you add a shed in the backyard or something and kind of put stuff there. Over the past few years, they've gone through there and have cleaned it up. It looks like it did way back when it, when it first opened, uh, minus for some of the paint that maybe is not on the wall hmm. anymore. There's a lot of open space underneath the, uh, the seating levels. Uh, in fact, some of the they've removed some of the signage from some of the concession stands throughout the building, where you can see some of the signage from the '70s, where you can see it says refreshments or popcorn, and these are artifacts that are in there and that haven't been removed yet because 
uh, you have to see what the renovation plan is, and maybe some of those signs can remain in place for preservation. But one thing that isn't talked about very much is that Houston, as you well know, suffers from a very high water table. There's no place for the water to go. I remember doing a game in there, a Houston Hurricanes soccer game in there, when all of the interchanges were flooded out. I could barely get to the game to broadcast it, not even considering anything else. That building remained watertight, despite the fact that that water table was as high as it was in Houston. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, you're right on the money right there, the, the stadium. And of course, you know, they had uh, a rain-in. And that's what they called it, not a rain out. And back in 1976, <laughs> the uh, the Astros and the Pirates were on June 15th, 1976, were, were set to play ball. And we had kind of like what we've seen lately this year and last year with, with all the heavy rain in the Houston area. We, you know, floods here. It's always flooded real bad here. Umpires couldn't get to the dome. Uh, the fans couldn't get to the dome. Of course, the teams were there because just like here right now, you know, we're, pre- we're preparing for a game tonight here. The clubs come in, you know, they've been here for a good two, two and a half hours already, you know, because they're, they're doing all, all their routines before the game. Sure. So those guys were there back then, but the, the fans couldn't get in and cars were being stalled out everywhere. And there they were, you know, they decided to call the game. Cal Smith, the, you know, the general manager at the time, he decided, you know, he, he actually said that they could have played the game because it was dry. It was dry in the Astrodome. There was no problem. There was no flooding in the Astrodome. But it wasn't the right thing to do because you would have had a lot of people that would have felt the need to get to the Dome because they had tickets to the game. And didn't, he didn't want any accidents or people getting hurt or, you know, getting into flooded waters on account that they were trying to get to the Astrodome. So they called the game and they actually called it a rain in because everybody was on the field, the players, uh, some of the employees right behind second base, right underneath the, the center portion of the 208-foot dome, they had a, a, a dinner out there. Uh, you know, they had steaks and, and, uh, from the Astrodome Club that they had the, started cooking for the season ticket holders and getting all that stuff ready that, you know, nobody was there. So they brought all that food down to the playing field, and everybody enjoyed a very nice, quiet, and eerie type of dinner while the the rain just drenched the outside of the building. As far as the plans for the Astrodome going forward, and I realize this is a work in progress, do you get the impression that the overall general direction is the right one? And what is it that we are likely to see when the Astrodome issues are resolved and we see the final work of whatever the Astrodome is going to morph into? You know, the Astrodome, I don't think that the Astrodome's purpose is going to change very much as far as from the term multi-purpose. It's going to be a new, a new experience for, for people that are going to come into the building. I think they're still going to recognize it as the Astrodome, but you're not going to go there to see an Astros game. You won't go there to see an Oilers or a Texans game, obviously. It's not going to be a stadium anymore. You're going to be on the floor of the Astrodome. You're going to go there for a park experience. You're going to be there for festivals. You're going to be there for possibly the rodeo events. Many of the events that take place outside on the the parking lot are going to move indoors. Now, whether that's the carnival or restaurants or or what have you, uh, that remains to be determined, but they're going to have nine acres of covered space and possibly more because you're moving the stands out of there. So you're Mm -hmm. going to have more space. I think when, when people think about what the Astrodome can become, 
They don't envision that the stadium portion, the seating portion, which is not really directly related to the engineering of the building, is going to be almost non-existent. So it's going to open up so much space. You're going to really get a sense of how much room there is into that building. Mike, you have a fascinating job and a historical job. And uh, thanks for sharing some time with us. Bill, I'd love it. I, I really want to appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's, it's great coming to work every day. I mean, it's, it's, like, uh, <laughs> it's like working a hobby. Mike Acosta is the official historian and authentication manager for the Houston Astros. Now, straight ahead, Mark Madoran joins me. We dive into the headlines of a busy weekend stadium news. That is next. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. It is time to talk shop once again, and in steps Mark Madoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. We remind you right off the top, Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Check it out at stadiumsusa.com. Hey, and you can also listen to podcasts of this program, Stadiums USA Radio, on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and subscribe to us at iTunes. Of course, listen each week on SB Nation Radio. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Stadiums USA, and you can also check us out on Facebook. That covers all of the bases. And let's get at it, Mark. We often talk about playing surfaces at stadiums and ballparks across the country. The NFL quietly has established a new committee whose sole focus will be studying playing surfaces across the league. What's the story here? Well, this is an interesting development where the NFL and the NFL Players Association are actually working together. They have put together a playing surface committee that they're both going to have input to who's on it and what's being discussed. The committee is designed to look at the field surface and the performance of each of those surfaces, including all the um, injuries and other aspects that go into it. Mm -hmm. Um, And this will include both game surfaces and practice facilities. So they're going to take a look at the entire aspect of how surface can affect the playing environment. Uh, The three things that are involved are injury prevention, uh, the tools and techniques for measuring injuries, and also improved testing of the surfaces as to make a standard surface acceptable. We know that uh, some of the surfaces uh, make a difference. We also know that the area surrounding the field makes a big difference. Uh, Remember last year that incident with Reggie Bush where he went off the field and hit a a concrete portion on the side and then fell and hurt himself and was out for the year. Hopefully some of those injuries uh, 
uh, won't be occurring any longer. So this is a really uh, interesting development, and it's always nice when the NFL and the Players Association can agree on something. Yeah, and I have to believe the Players Association is very happy with this move and joyfully agrees with it. Speaking of playing surfaces, Mark, they have ditched the synthetic turf in Baltimore, and they have replaced it with a grass field instead. This week... Ravens players got their first look at it, had a chance to run out, test it a little bit. What's the verdict? The new surface is natural, and the players loved it. It's a premium surface. Some of them called it a fast track. They couldn't wait to get on it. There were sections replaced after a Beyonce concert in June, but uh, it is a natural surface. Uh, And as you know, natural surface is not easy to maintain. It takes some care. And it isn't always easy to get it right. Uh, Ask the 49ers about natural surfaces and how long it's taken them to find the right solution. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's a great surface right now. The Ravens players love it. Let's see what happens after game six or game seven and see if it holds up and uh, if it's just as good then. Mark, it's beat the clock time in Miami. The new Miami Stadium is fighting to get open, and there's a whole crew of people working around the clock on it as they try to get that stadium ready and get it open. Where does it stand right now? Well, I'm not exactly sure, Bill, but it appears like it's going to be ready. Hmm. They have made a major commitment to... um, kind of redo that stadium. It won't look anything like it looked in the past. Uh, That Miami stadium that the Dolphins play in will have a huge shade canopy. But along with that shade canopy comes what they wanted, shade. And that shade has created a problem. They Hmm. had a surface, a natural grass surface, that didn't like being in the shade. A lot of grass compounds the uh, formulations just don't work very well unless they get plenty of sun. Mm-hmm. So they had to go and get a new grass surface. This grass surface is called a shade-resistant grass. It has a special name, Platinum TE Paspellum. <laughs> uh, it took 27 truckloads of that brought in from Alabama to, to fulfill the stadium in Miami. But it has been put down, and they said it will be ready for the preseason game, the final preseason game. But before that, it needs to be ready on September 3rd for the University of Miami versus Florida A&M. So we are uh, only about a month away from them testing that surface and see how it does. But they tell us it's ready to go, but I'm not so sure. There have been some reports privately that they may be behind schedule. So we're going to have to wait and see. But I think they're throwing everything they can at it right now, and they'll do their best to get it ready. You know, Mark, there are so many indoor stadiums in Las Vegas. It seems like every casino has some type of a stadium attached to it. It's hard to get much attention for the T-Mobile Arena, which just came online, and uh, everybody's had a chance now to go in and drop in and take a look at it. What's the story as they get ready for hockey here in 2017? The T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, the new site of the newest NHL franchise, and it got rave reviews. Hmm. Everyone that saw it just thought it was great. And there are some experienced hockey fans living in Las Vegas, people that have transferred there and lived in other areas, enjoy hockey, and couldn't wait for the the team to move in. Most of the people that looked at the arena thought it looked exactly like what they expected. The sight lines were excellent. The um, seat placement, concessions, everything looked great 
for hockey. So they are really excited. Now they're going to have to wait a year because uh, the NHL won't start out there till October of 17. But I think that arena is going to be fabulous. And uh, it did get uh, excellent reviews from the people we heard from. Mark, each week we take a look back on some of the significant dates in stadium history and what's on the docket this week. Well, this week in 1957, the Brooklyn Sports Authority gets an engineering report on a 50,000-seat dome stadium slated for downtown. At the time, it was an attempt by Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley to keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. It was a very creative idea, but it never did come in uh, uh, to reality. Mm-hmm. This week in 1969, the college all-star game is held at Soldier Field in Chicago. More than 74,000 attend the game. I knew one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see Joe Namath and the Jets hold on for a 26-24 win uh, over a team comprised of college players. Many have probably forgotten the once popular preseason all-star football game that was held each year in Chicago. Oh, yeah. The last game in the series was held in 1976. And in 1986, the first American Bowl exhibition game, the Bears beat the Cowboys at London's Wembley Stadium. And, of course, we know how far that's come. Uh, NFL London is a reality just about every, uh, every week uh, in, during the season now. And that's just a few items in stadium history for this week. All right, Mark. Now, before we let you go, we also want to point out a new feature on the Stadiums USA website where fans can test their knowledge on stadium and ballpark trivia. This sounds like a lot of fun to me. We're trying to make the site more fun for everybody and included with stadium information. We now have our stadium quiz and the stadium quiz covers all kinds of information about venues. It's uh, an interesting way to test your knowledge of sports facilities. And I think real sports fans will have a big kick out of taking that quiz every week. It changes every week with new questions. And once you take the quiz, you'll be able to score your responses and see how you've done. So I have a question for you this week, Bill. Oh, very good. Let's let's right see if I want. All right. Here right it from, is. Huh? You're sitting in the uh, stands at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. You're sitting behind the screen, behind the plate, looking out over center field at that beautiful ballpark. And you can see the bridge over the river in the background. What is the name of the bridge that you're looking at behind center field? The Mark Madoran Bridge. Close, but <laughs> sorry, you didn't get that one correct. Yeah, don't tell anybody now. <laughs> I do know the answer to that. A very, pop- a very popular fellow in Pittsburgh, and if you've listened to our recent shows, you know the answer because you heard us talk about it just about a month ago on this show. Mark, that's Ex- going to be great. One of the things we talk about on the show will probably show up on the quiz every week. Very good, Mark, and have fun in Florida. We'll see you next week. Always do. Take care, Bill. 